Is it on? Oh, oh, wait for me. Hey guys, I'm Ricky and welcome to Beyond Butter and Burpees. This podcast is to talk about things that surround us while keeping it real. So get your headphones, get yourself a nice drink and let's do this. <laughs> hey guys, this is Sean. Uh, this guy has a golden heart. I, I actually we met around 2016. Is that right? 2016, I think we met quickly, and then 2017, I think is when we spent some more time hanging out in, uh, in at Blue Mountain in Canada here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, before we start, uh, why don't you just go ahead and just. In, and in briefly introduce yourself actually for the people who are listening to you i have your intro i have d- i have done my research i'm, I'm going to share with that later but we just want to hear from you just in you. terms of in, in terms of like my like what what i what i'm involved with uh fitness wise athletics that kind of stuff you mean or yeah you can start with fitness and then yeah. just a little bit about from what you do apart from fitness Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, I've always been pretty active, I guess, since I was just a kid, even I played hockey for geez, about 35 years being in Canada here. And, um, in 2014, 2000, 2013, I, I kind of discovered obstacle course racing and got, um, kind of hooked to that and, sort of really just tried it just one for one race just for for fun and then realized I really felt the connection with it and so um after a couple of years realized you know that I could take it more seriously and so I I, I left playing hockey and basically put all of my uh efforts into into racing um uh you know it's I think a lot of people in their 40s do that I was about I was in my early 40s at the time and kind of realized you know that uh i wanted to be healthy i think you kind of hit that point for those of you who've done that before yeah you kind of feel yourself getting sick more often and it's okay to kind of live unhealthy in your 20s and 30s but when you get to your 40s you get sick it takes a lot mm. longer to get better um and you get sick a lot more often and mm. you realize kind of that uh you know the stakes are higher at that point because you realize that if you don't start looking after yourself in your forties and you hit your fifties and sixties in pretty bad shape. And yeah, then, yeah. You know, so you kind of decide at that point, I think if you're going to continue being active or you're just going to give up on being physically active at that point. So I, uh, I just, I needed it badly. Uh, I'd been sick a couple of times pretty seriously and yeah, about 10 years ago and realized, you know, I needed to, to do this. To, to, to be happy to just not be on um, not just physically but mentally as well so yeah mm. I mean beyond beyond that I'm a journalist here um, and um, so uh, I have a pretty kind of most people would consider a pretty stressful job so it helps a lot with that too um, dealing with uh, like for me uh, physical fitness is is equally sometimes even more importantly mental health for me Mm-hmm. Um, I've, uh, I've dealt a lot with depression and anxiety over the last 20 years or so. And so this, uh, being active and, and, and finding some physical intensity in my life really helps me a lot cope with those things. So 
that's the other reason I do it, uh, just to keep myself sane too. <laughs> so, do you see uh, this physical activity as an escape? Oh yeah, I mean, on so many levels. I mean, um, it's it's an it's an escape because it's kind of it, it becomes kind of for me my time, you know, it, mm. on that on a literal level. It let, lets me. If I'm going out a long run or just doing anything like that, you know, my Instagram handle is Lone Wolf, and mm. people ask me sometimes why it's like that, and it's just that that's I've always been a bit of a loner, and so when it kind of extends itself to 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 my fitness, it's kind of I do it my own, right? Like I I learn from some really great coaches. I've had some really great people who really help me a lot, give me direction. And, um, I don't, I don't expect, I don't pretend to be an expert, but I, I've learned a lot and I learn a lot. I think about what makes, what works for me personally. Right. And I think that's, what's important too, is I think everybody kind of has to pay attention to what, what works. And I think it takes years to figure that out. And so for me, it's, it's a very personal thing, you know, um, and it's an escape also, like I said, just, just from, you know, uh, it's amazing how you can feel really, really, you know, have very little energy or have very little motivation to do anything. But mm. for me, it's sort of like, it's almost like taking a pill, you know, like you can be completely laid out on your bed, have zero energy, not want to do anything. But I know in my head from experience, and I think people learn this over time, is that if you can just get your feet on the ground, stand up and do something, yeah. And 15 minutes later, you've got, you're full of energy, you know, the, you know, your, your brain is cleared and you're, you're feeling so much better, right? You can actually make yourself healthy just yeah. by moving. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. All the bad thoughts, it just goes away after 15 minutes. It's gone. Yeah. You actually feel, it's funny because you may be breathing really hard. <laughs> you maybe wanted to, you, you might feel like you're going to throw up on the ground, but somehow you're, 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 you, you're, you feel more relaxed in a way. I know that sounds crazy, but you can be, you know, so covered in sweat and just breathing really heavily, but you're actually more relaxed than you were when you were lying in bed half yeah. an hour earlier, you know, feeling just crappy. So yeah. it's pretty amazing how that works. Um, yeah. I guess that's more important nowadays when people are locked up inside. Yeah, and it's funny because I think that um, a lot of people, like the last couple of years has really, well, I guess it hasn't been two years yet, it feels like it, but I think a lot of people who were in fitness for different reasons have, may have had a hard time learning that, you know. I think a lot of people were who were involved with fitness I think I think most people just uh, just based on what I've seen over the last 16 months or so were in fitness for very different reasons than I was, you know, like they were in fitness for the social part of it, yeah. which is totally fine. I think that's 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 really great, too. But it's kind of funny the way it's kind of revealed in some sense, um, you know, it's kind of a bit of a weakness <laughs> for them because like, it's kind of forced them mentally to deal with um uh you know that solitude and and having to motivate themselves and to kind of find and realize that you know it's not about so much going out with a bunch of people and then going out for drinks after or you know whatever it's about 
personal time. It's about keeping themselves mentally um, healthy as well. You know, I mean, it's funny, like what it just over the Olympics the last uh, couple of days ago, Damien Warner from here in Canada won the decathlon, right? And and he, and here was a guy who who had didn't have access to the gyms. They were all closed. He didn't have access to all those things that people have been crying about for the last 16 months. I mean, he literally he just made it work, you know. His coaches found a, a deserted arena, and they 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 basically took over the arena and put all the things down. He he, he was running 100 meters into 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 walls, like yeah. he set up padding so he could run fast enough and hit the wall, right? So like, you have to find a way to make it work for yourself. Like, there's no excuse, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like, you need to find. There's always going to be a way to be physically active, you know. Yeah. Even if it's it's funny because the first the first few months here in Canada anyway that it, there was a definite kind of even for me as someone who's used to doing it on alone, alone a definite sense of okay this space in front of me is the only space I have to work out you know mm. um, and I've done that a lot for many years already but I you know at that point I was doing things at the gym and I was more social with people and stuff but in my head in that little Honestly, I would have had in this tiny space in Toronto, like honestly, that space would probably be the mat I was working out on uh, was six by eight feet. Yeah, yeah. That was the space. That was the only space I had to work out in. And working on that mat, I could, it occurred to me at some point that, you know what, like some of the most ripped, physically fit people you'll ever see are the people who are working out in their jail cell. Exactly. (laughs) And that was what that was, was six by eight space where all space. I could do was push-ups, lift weights, you know, plyometrics, do whatever I could just to keep active and keep, you know, try and keep, I mean, it's not ideal for sure, but, but you know, um, that was all I had, right? And so that's, that's what you make work. So, yeah, yeah. no, it's definitely, I think it's really the past year and a half has really, I think, taught a lot of people lessons uh, about, you know, why they're doing it um, and whether they're going to continue doing it after this is over. Yeah. So this actually brings me back to uh, next next question, actually. Did you think that you were slightly more mentally and physically prepared when something like this happened? Sorry, my cat just jumped on the the table. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. That's like... (laughs) That's a classic cat move, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like you're not paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I come at this from a very different perspective. A very like for me, I didn't mention um, introducing myself, right? That I, I actually lived for ten years in the Arctic, um, working in the Arctic, and so isolation for me is something that I, you know, I wasn't one hundred percent dealing with perfectly when I was there, but you know, there were times there where. You know, I lived for most of the time in a community where there were no roads. It was all by plane and you flew in. And um, part of it that was in I Nova lived... Scotia. What's that? Nova Scotia. Is that the place? Um, Nunavut. I was living in Nunavut for eight years in the Arctic. And I lived in the Northwest Territories for about two years. Wow. And yeah, so I mean, up there it was super cold. And for part of the time I lived up there in the Northwest Territories, there wasn't even sun for two months. So um, I kind of had to deal with that. And so I guess in some ways, right, like, in fact, for a while, I lived um, 
it was maybe looking back now, it was a really hard time, but it may have been some of the best time of my life where I had, uh, we were on strike at work and I had to live in a cabin, um, mm. a hunting cabin in January and February in the Northwest Territories above the Arctic Circle. So in the dark for about a month by myself, uh, no plumbing, just sled dogs. Um, <laughs> I, I, so, I think I saw that story. Yeah. And so but I'm but, glad that you're explaining that to us because people who are listening right now, I think most of them in Asia, yeah. uh, they have no idea how it is up there. It's funny because a lot of people, uh, they see that and think to themselves, wow, that was so, that must've been so horrible, but seriously, Ricky, like some days I think to myself, man, I could get on a plane right now <laughs> <laughs> because it was probably the, 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 the healthiest time in some sense too. Like it just forced me to, um, like there was no internet, you know, like there was nothing there. It was just me, no TV, just a stove, <laughs> a worm, a bed, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, that was it. I mean, it, so it really kind of helped me kind of, um, come to terms with a lot about myself and learn about myself and what I could deal with. And, you know, and that all comes at a cost too, right? It's not <laughs> like the thing is you do those things and you learn about yourself and sometimes it's not always great stuff. Right. Um, yeah. and so you walk away with that knowledge. So at least you have that experience and you understand yourself a little better, but, but, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, for sure going from that to living in Toronto, which is like Canada's biggest city, um, nowhere near as big as cities in Asia, but it's still, you know, it's like, you know, it, for us, it's big, 3 million people, three to 4 million people in Toronto and, and seeing people there who just were used to living on top of each other, you know, and not having <laughs> that kind of space. And, um, yeah, so it's, I think in some ways, like I just, I, maybe I was lucky in a way that I kind of had a had a bit of experience in dealing with those kinds of things before before all this happened wow and how did you used to travel from one place to another when you were up there Sled? by plane mostly yeah so just about everywhere we went we had to fly um and uh wow. expensive too yeah when i lived in northwest territories though even though it was the furthest north i lived um there were roads, but like roads oh. were, you know, dirt roads. Like there was one trip I did. Um, it was about 16 hours driving, uh, with no gas stations, no, no towns. Uh, you just drove through the mountains and across the tundra. And the day that I drove it, there was a blizzard. <laughs> And uh, it, was pretty, it was pretty crazy because like uh, there was a blizzard. We knew there was a blizzard coming the next day. I was with a, a friend as a, from Inuvik where I lived. Because I, I didn't want to drive that all that way alone because uh -huh. you can get in accidents and there's wild animals and there's all kinds yeah, of things. Like yeah. And so we, we, we stopped in this town. It was a two-part. Two it was like a three-hour drive to this small little town. It was like an old gold rush town. Mm-hmm called Austin city, which is actually kind of famous. It's a um, pretty cool little place. And we got there and the, everybody was talking about the big storm coming tomorrow. And so, um, we decided we're not going to be leaving tomorrow because it was just going to be, yeah, they were going to close the highway. It was going to be too bad. 
Okay. So we met up with a couple of people we didn't know were there. We were like, oh, hey, how's it going? And then we went to the bar uh-huh. and we had drinks all night. <laughs> we woke up the next morning and the stupid highway wasn't closed. <laughs> I was actually driving for work. Like it was, uh, and I was supposed to be back. I was supposed to get back to my hometown, to my home community. Okay. And so I had to drive 16 hours with a massive hangover in a blizzard. Oh. Just, my my fingers were like this the whole way. It was just horrible. Um, frozen? No, it wasn't. It was frozen because it was just it was so hard to drive there was so much snow on the road that i didn't want to like if we got off the road then we could have died <laughs> so it was like a very it was a scary drive the whole way um but uh yeah it's funny i was younger then i guess <laughs> you were more risk-taking you were like Fuck yeah, it, i'm just gonna do it I didn't, i didn't think i was at the time but i guess i was yeah so so when you talk about wild animals, what kind of wild animals are, are up there? Have you experienced like seeing anyone, like any animal in person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to go hunting too. Um, mm-hmm. When I lived in the Northwest Territories, the animals up there was the... There were wolves, there were wolves and stuff like that, but the, the, the most experience I had with animals was when I lived in Nunavut, which is in... Canada's Eastern Arctic, where there's no trees. So there's polar bears there um, and wolves, lots of caribou. Um, Maybe the scariest um, experience I had was with a musk ox. I don't know if you know what a musk ox is. I have no idea. I'll Google it later. Yeah, they're big. They're 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 like they look. They're basically like cows, but covered in covered in hair, long hair, and they have big horns. And they like most people when they see them, they were like they think they're from the dinosaur era. Like they're just like, where are these? They've never seen these before. Like you'll be you'll laugh at me. Everybody's gonna Google this now. But um, how do you, how do you write the name? Uh, it's M O M U S K O X. So musk ox. Musk ox. Yeah. Hmm. And they're huge. They look really huge. But they're probably only about this tall. Like they're probably only about the size of right. the size of a cow, basically, right? But they're covered okay. in hair. And so I was working um, at the time as a cameraman too. And so I was I went out with a hunter because we were he wanted to show me. You know, we were trying to collect wildlife and stuff like that on camera, and we got off our our uh, our. Um, ATVs basically and and all of a sudden there were these muskox that came muskoxen I guess is the plural and so they came towards us and they're really slow moving and so I got and so he was going you know they can move pretty quick so he's the okay. funny thing what he said was he said just get up on a rock because they can't get up because there's they have short little legs <laughs> and so I went up with my camera and I and I stood on the I did, wasn't on a rock I was standing and the muskox came probably about I don't know how many feet away from me, and and it kind of just looked at me, and then it started to paw the ground. They started to stomp the ground, right? They started gonna, stomping. Yeah, it, gonna, like it was gonna, it was gonna, it looked like it was gonna charge me. And I turned around and I looked at the hunter, and he was standing up on a rock, and he's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> 
And so I just froze. I just like, I'm not, I was there to myself, you know what, if I'm going to get killed, at least I'll have a good shot. <laughs> <laughs> and so he kind of just looked at me for, it was like a standoff for a few minutes. And then he uh, kind of walked away. But I used to go a lot on, on my own. I mean, when I was in Nunavut, I used to go for long walks by myself on the land. And um, I had experiences with some wolves and stuff like that too, which were kind of like, they would follow you and, you know, the worst were polar bears. If you saw a polar bear, you, they were uh, like polar bears. Are, I think are only a, one of two animals in the world that were act, that are actually um, they see people as prey. Like they actually they a actively hunt people, right? Like mm -hmm. most other bears and wild animals that hurt you is because you kind of get in their way, you know. Exactly. But a polar bear will actually, like stalk you and and hunt you, and so polar bears were always really scary. So I used to always go high up on the land because they're more down by the ocean. They would always stay by the ocean. Yeah. So yeah, polar bears were always the scary one. You didn't want to see them, but uh, yeah. I have zero experience with polar bears, but yeah, I don't what, want to. <laughs> what I can see is this, we are actually into their habitats, you know? Some of us, we actually go into their habitats yeah, yeah, but I mean, the thing is, when up, up there, like when you're in a place like those places, you're a part of that habitat. And so that's what you kind of have to understand is that you're not necessarily intruding because you're their prey. <laughs> that's how I mean? he sees that. Actually, yeah, but you're part of it. I think that's part of the thing. I think a lot of people, <clears throat> my experience living up in the north was that I think we often see ourselves as being not a part of the habitat. But when you're up there, you realize that you were part of that. Like you're, you're actually just as much a part of the habitat as the fox or the wolf or the caribou or the bear. Yeah. And yes. you find your place in it, right? Like you have to find your, you have to respect it and know where you stand in those places. Like, you know, you don't want to be, you don't, you need to know where your place is and you need to know that, you know, you're not the boss there. They're yeah. the boss. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, then how do we protect ourselves? Let's say I go there and I have zero idea and you're somebody who has a bit of experience. So how do I protect myself? From from just oh. animals generally? Polar bear. I think okay. everything else I can still handle uh, if something attacks, but polar bear is something, uh, no, no chance. So the only thing you can do, well, number one, have a big gun. <laughs> <laughs> But even a gun, I mean, I remember seeing this one guy. I remember seeing this one guy. And they were from the south, like from southern Canada. And they were out on the sea ice. And they saw a polar bear really far off. And they were like, okay, that's scary. So let's make sure he knows, you know, we're here and don't mess with us. So they, he took his gun and he just fired it in the air. Just to, okay. sort of to try and scare the bear and tell the bear, I got a gun, don't come near me. Um, but the bear was kind of walking along and as soon as he fired the gun, the polar bear turned toward him and was like, Oh, <laughs> he was just like, <laughs> the look on the bear's face was like, you know, I didn't care so much about you until you did that, but you're pissing me off now. <laughs> so, so he started walking towards them. Right. And a polar bear, most guns, it's going to take a few shots unless you hit it straight in the head. So. The, the short answer is really, you can't do anything. I mean, a polar bear is, uh, you know, 
it's twice the size of us. They weigh us. They're just, I mean, I think a lot of people from, from other parts of the world see the polar bear as kind of cute, cuddly animals. Cuddly, loving. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, for me, it's, uh, don't get me wrong, we still respect, I think we have to do, we have to do everything to protect them. Um, but when you live up there and you're part of that environment um, and you know stories of people who've been killed by polar bears, you realize that, yes, you respect them, but at the same time, uh, you know, they're not, they're not cute animals. They're, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't have much of a chance if you get a, you know, like the stories I will tell you of people who were killed and it's just, it's, it's not, it's, they, it, you know. And I think the other thing too, is you can, you see that how powerful they are and just how, you know, they, they really humble you, right? Like you, you, there's nothing you can do. They're like, a, they're a true monster. And I mean that yeah. respectfully, yeah. I'm not saying it in terms of like, I don't think I'm not saying we should go and kill them, but, yeah. but when you see what they can do to a person and, and how they can, you know, there's no, and, person, right? and I think there's a beauty. They, they're not, they're not defending themselves. They're actually trying, they're trying to eat you. And so most animals don't do that, <laughs> you know. I mean, they will. Bro, this is so sick. I'm but, sorry, I'm making people. They're all turning off right now, but it's. it's <laughs> I mean, with all respect, I'm, uh, polar bears, uh, as you said, you know, they are the top of the food chain out yeah, there. Awesome. So yeah. we are yeah. below them. So uh, if they try to hunt you, then. And I was just Googling how fast they are. They're 40 kilometers an hour, like their top speed. So you you cannot even outrun them. Well, what they usually do, and this is what's what's scary too, is that they don't, they're not, they very rarely will outrun you. They'll out, they will outlast you. And so like the stories that I heard of people who were stalked for days, right? Because you know, you can't stop. And so if you're out on the tundra, if you're out in the ice and you see a polar bear, they don't, They'll, they're patient. They'll just follow you until you can't walk anymore. And so what you have to do is you have to call for help, right? you have to call for, uh, you know, for a helicopter to come get you and stuff. In fact, there was one time, um, the first, the, the first year that I lived up there, I went out hunting with, um, some people who didn't really know what they were doing. I mean, it's funny, right? It's, <laughs> it's very typical. Um, uh, Inuit family that I knew really well and I kind of trusted them and I realized after what happened was <laughs> the, 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 the engine on our boat died and we were stranded on an island, um, a, a tiny little island in the middle of um, the Arctic Ocean and we were there for a couple of days um, and we didn't have a radio, the radio was dead so we couldn't call so they actually sent out search and rescue planes for us and they found us. Um, and when we got home, when we got back, they told us that there was actually a bear on an island just near us. <laughs> and so it was like, yeah, we were lucky um, that we got out when wow. we did. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, any smell or food or anything like that, he would have been on to us pretty quick. So, yeah. So. Wow. Do you guys have hunting season up there? What they do, um, control the numbers. Animals, yeah. For certain animals that are considered to be, uh, I don't, I'm not saying endangered, but, 
uh, like there are certain animals like polar bears, for example, that they give out tags for, right? You're only allowed so many. So depending on like they, there is a, there, they do do wildlife management there. And so people will get so many tags for community and those people, you know, they can bring back is what they, you know, they go up their tags. Basically you can go and get an animal mm. uh, and, and, and then the community, once they run out of tags, they can't hunt them anymore. Um, the main animal that where I lived were, was uh, caribou and seal. And so um, caribou was like, I, I seals are really, really hard to hunt because they're in the water and popping up and it's like, so. And they're caribou, really cute. And they're, they're totally cute too. Um, <laughs> like I, it's funny, right? Because I, when I was living there, um, most of my friends were, were Inuit. Um, and I just got to know the culture really well. And, and, uh, the, the, the thing is, is that when you live in places like that, that are so remote, the cost to bring food from other places is so expensive, right? Like yeah. most people would say, why don't they just eat, you know, like what they have or, um, but the thing is like when you hunt a seal or a caribou up there, you compare that to the price of the groceries at the store. Like if you were to buy, you know, like, I don't know what chicken, chicken or, or like, I mean, the price of meat there is easily five, six, seven times, depending on how far you are more expensive than it would be here in the South. So when you are up there and you may only, you know, you're not, you don't make a lot of money, then you have no choice. And if you're going to feed your children, um, mm. that's the only choice you have is to go and hunt. And um, not to mention the fact that it's so much, it's so healthy, right? That's the other part of it too. Is, yeah. uh, it is like, uh, um, and in that part too, like the other thing too, I would say is that the areas where I lived, um, there were lots of seals <laughs> and lots of caribou. <laughs> like it wasn't in, like in some other places, right? Like um, where those, where numbers sometimes are lower, but, um, yeah. they are, they were everywhere. Um, so yeah, I mean, you could just walk over a hill and there'd be caribou all over the place. So, uh, yeah. Wow. So taking that experience, uh, when you came back to Toronto, did you miss anything from there? Like when you came to the city, you're like, fuck, this is a different place. Uh, you know, I miss living there with these things. The biggest thing I miss was, um, the solitude, uh, you know, like, uh, that's just kind of who I am. And so, uh, the, like the, the, the way that I could just walk over a hill if I was having a bad day and just, just be alone. Right. And like, there were days in the winter time where if you really wanted to be alone, I get on a snowmobile, like I had a snowmobile and I would drive out to the middle of the sea ice. That's really cool. Yeah. Like drive for, I don't know, 20 kilometers onto Frobisher Bay, um, away from the town, away from everybody and just turn it off and just lay there on the snowmobile. It would be like minus 30 degrees Celsius, right? But I'd have my parka and totally outfitted i'd be completely warm and would just lie there in the sun <laughs> right and that's just like oh, that's a blessing bro 
Oh yeah, like it is. I mean, it's some people would say it's really dangerous too because if you got out there and then your machine didn't start, <laughs> people would say, "Are you stupid?" Um, but but even on a just on a regular on a regular night, like if it was in February, March, whatever, and where I lived, I could walk across the street, go over a hill, and everything would disappear from there. Um, and I could just lay in the snow and look at the northern lights, <clears throat> and so that ability to escape was mm -hmm. like a huge, huge thing for me. And so getting to Toronto, um, living in a condo mm -hmm. where, I mean, all your neighbors could hear you talk, right? Like it was just like, you have no privacy. And, uh, and I think the other thing too about it too, is that, you know, like, and this isn't, I'm not, I didn't grow up in Toronto. I grew up here in Ottawa where I live now, but I think that the, that, places like Toronto are kind of like very, I don't know, like it's, they don't, there's not, they're kind of sheltered in some ways. Like Toronto is one of the more, one of the, maybe it must be the top five multicultural places in the world. Right. I mean, I think it's quite I dense. I don't know it's if really you spend time, if you spend time in the city when you were in Canada. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. So like Toronto, a lot of people are really surprised when they walk down the street because sometimes you can walk for three blocks and never hear English, but you'll hear like 12 other languages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like that, right? Like it's very, very multicultural. But at the same time, everybody's kind of like they come from those places and then that's all they know there. And so it's like it's there's a lot of very isolated people. It's kind of funny to say when you're in a big city like that who don't have a lot of experience outside of that. You know what I mean? particularly mm -hmm. people who are born there. And so that's kind of what they know. And they only know that kind of thin veil of what life is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like, it was also kind of hard to relate to people, I think, when I moved there. Um, just because like life in places like where I was, um, like uh, I've actually written a bit about it, is that like, for me, people talk about the North, the Arctic as being a place of extreme temperatures, you know? Um, but it's also an it's also very raw in terms of uh, an extreme in terms of life, because right? yeah. it's a very it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous place. Um, it's it's a place where uh, a lot of bad things happen, but a mm -hmm. lot of good things happen. It's like you know, like I've never gone to war, but it's that kind of feeling of like when you're surrounded so much by such bad things all the time. Mm. Good things make good things are then more important. You know what I mean? So like mm. you celebrate the happy times more than you would if you were living in a place like Toronto. You know, um, you, there may be a lot of death, but then you celebrate people who are when they have babies even more. You know what I mean? And so exactly. like it balances like, out. Yeah, like in Toronto, it's it's sort of everything's in the middle. Like in it was like very kind of very dull. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. It was kind of boring in that sense because it's like people's personal drama was like really overwhelming yeah. right it's everywhere it, yeah yeah but it, it's just like that's upsetting you really you know you know <laughs> you know like it, it's it's there are so many more important things and so many worse things that can happen and, and you're you're this is your this is your big deal today you know um so yeah. I mean, and that's, again, getting back to what's happened over the last year and a half, right? I think in different parts of the world, I won't mention them, you know, yeah. some places that are, you know, 
when we talk about obstacle course racing, some places, of course they miss it, but it's like, they understand that there's more important things right now and that there's more important priorities and, you know, there are more important things to worry about and other places which are just kind of like almost selfish in the way they see it as like, you know, stomping their feet, you know, I, I deserve to be able to do this. I deserve to be able to go to a race. I deserve to go to the gym. Why am I not allowed to go to the gym? It's like, geez, man, there's more important things to worry about right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's funny in a sport like obstacle course racing, where for me, the reason I was attracted to it so much initially was because of how it was so, it was so much about resilience, right? And mm-hmm. this feeling like you needed to push through no matter what, and you need to find a way to just move forward. Mm-hmm. And yet there's so many people over the last year and a half who were just kind of saying, you know, this isn't fair. It's like, this isn't fair. It's not yeah, fair. I heard a couple it's not, of that. It's not fair carrying fifty pounds on a you know on your back when you're walking down them in the middle of a thunderstorm on a on a mountain, right, Ricky? I mean, it's yeah. like, <laughs> how is it? I just don't understand how people who you know um, can do that can't deal with the fact that maybe they're going to have to run around their neighborhood for a few weeks or a few months yeah. instead yeah. of going to their you know their crazy gym where they've got everything they need. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I heard some people who were like saying these kind of things as if they are entitled to it, you know, for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and it, um, it kind of showed that, you know, they had this, this mindset of thinking that they are entitled to all these things and nothing can change it. Like yeah. no matter what is happening. And then if you tell these guys, they would be like, there is a conspiracy theory. They have their own conspiracy theory that this is happening because of something that government is trying to hide and i'm like listen people are dying out there if you look at the news properly you know people are dying out there and you should be lucky that you are at least even in that space where you have your home like you have a home above your head you got your food and you are safe even if you're not vaccinated oh yeah you know like it's funny because like i've really um, just in the last couple of weeks, it's funny that you wanted to talk today because it's like, I've really had a hard time, uh, the last couple of months, especially kind of coming to terms with coming back to obstacle course racing, mm. um, because, because of those two things, number one, I mentioned, like I said, I really felt a, a connection with people and that community because of their you know, their resiliency because of their, like, I always thought, okay, these are people I can, I can, I can connect with. Cause I feel like for me, it's a, that's, it, it, it's, it's like, it's like cathartic for me to be racing. Cause it's like, that's what it is for me. It's an, it's, it's, it's an ability to kind of like push past things or obstacles that sometimes maybe we can't push through in our personal lives that we can never quite get over, but we can kind of do it in that way. Right. Like, mm we can find a way, maybe we can't get over those things psychologically, but physically we can do it at that Mm. place and really push ourselves. And the other part of it was too, is like there was a camaraderie that Mm. came with helping other people. And it's like, there was this code of feeling like when you were out on course, yes, you were pushing yourself hard, but you were also doing everything you could to support other people. You know, it was a community first. It was about, helping other people get past their obstacles too. And somewhere along the way over the last four or five years, I don't know, maybe the last three years, even 
I feel like the sport has shifted into something that's more about individuals and about, you know, there's a feeling of, like you said, entitlement and, mm. and people are upset at each other all the time on course. People are accusing each other of, you know, not, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, yeah. for me, the sport was always about, it's funny because it's like, for me, it was a sport about individuals against themselves, right? It was about us trying to, get past our personal demons, trying to get past our, 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 our limitations, but with a community that supported us. And now what I see is a community of people who are saying, you know, I don't, I shouldn't have to get past my personal limitations. I shouldn't have to be like, I, I deserve to be just given this, like, how dare they cancel my race? How dare they close my gym? How dare they, how dare they? It's like, dude, I thought you were, wasn't that why you were doing this? And so it was kind of like, for me, it, it really has been kind of a, an eye-opening experience to see people's true nature. You know, like a, one person that I really respect at one point told me, you know, he, you know, he said, uh, you know, why should I care? I, I got sick and I didn't, it wasn't serious, right? He's like, I caught it and, I, and it wasn't serious to me. Mm. So, you know, why is that a big deal? It's not a big deal. And it's like, it's not a big deal. Okay, so it's but 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 that for me it really kind of like made me realize that here was the truth of it all was was someone who clearly put himself first and didn't care about Rest. the other million people who were dying, you know, and so it was kind of like, hmm. So you know, I'm really kind of the last like I said, it's it, like I said over the last couple of weeks been struggling, and I think I'm kind of turning the corner now a little bit in terms of saying. You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back now. When when the races start again, I might have a race in October. I might, where it's gonna just be about me again. You know, like I'm just gonna do it for me. I'm not gonna get myself. You know, it. You know, there are some pretty pretty amazing, unique individuals in the sport. You're one among them that I you know I really look up to and respect. But there's a lot of garbage out there too. But I'm not gonna let that kind of like. Thank you. I'm going to be able to choose, you know, like I'm not going to put myself in, in a position where I have been before where I think I kind of like made myself part of the community and, and uh, made an effort to connect with everyone. And now it's like, I, no, I don't think so. I think for me, it's about just, you know, finding again, the initial reason I got into this was to kind of push myself past my own, limitations you know mm. so yeah so you're going back to that like when you're going to start again it, let's say when you're going to start again racing in october the mindset that you will be bringing this time it's quite similar to how it was when you race for first time yeah, about yeah. yourself and just trying to find yourself again right from the exactly, start yeah i mean like when i the, i didn't mention this but the reason that i raced the first time was uh i like I said, I, 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 I'd been really sick. I was diagnosed with celiac disease in 2010 and mm. lost almost 30 pounds, was in really, really not great health, like really not well. And, uh, and then after that, I had a, 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 an appendectomy. You know, I was just like at that point for the first time in my life, really, really unhealthy. I wasn't like crazy overweight and I wasn't or anything like that. But I had been living in the north for 10 years where I did drink probably more than I should have. And I ate a lot of crappy food just because, again, it was cheaper to do that. Um, and so I kind of had this re realization that I needed to get healthy. So I started, you know, 
not really knowing much about what I was doing. I started running and stuff like that. And so I ran a 5k and it was like this big deal. You know, it's like, for me, I've never done anything like that before. <laughs> I ran a 5k in downtown Toronto and it was like, for me, it was like, I ran, I was like, it was like, I ran a death race. It was just like, you know, I was so proud that I did this 5k. <clears throat> I broke my leg doing it, by the way. I was like, I had a really bad stress fracture with you, which you found out about later. I, cause I yeah. so that I still sometimes break it again. But, um, the thing is, so, and then, so about two years later, my aunt died um she was uh my godmother and i knew she was you know i was really close to her and so i had it kind of like after she died that i was gonna like raise some money you know like to do a race and uh so i was gonna do a 5k again and i was like that's too boring <laughs> because like my my aunt the one thing about her was she wasn't good at everything but she tried everything um like she was someone who was like yeah you know, i don't know like i have best way to put it in story for language but she didn't give a shit she was just like i'm gonna do it <laughs> who cares if people laugh at me? that's badass bro no no that's but it's bad. like she just didn't care people will laugh you know it's like whatever i'm just gonna do it yeah and it wasn't even about being angry she was just like i don't care <laughs> like, <it's just> like, <laughs> um and so i decided you know what can I do um, that's going to get me out of my comfort zone, right? Like something that could, uh, something that I wouldn't do otherwise because mm. I don't want to look stupid. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's when I decided, you know what, I can, let me try this Spartan thing. Cause I knew that I was like, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> it was just, what year was it? 2000, I guess it was 2013. I think she died 2012, New Year's, New Year's Eve. Mm. This would have been the, the spring, spring, summer 2013. Mm. And, uh, and so I went out and did that. And yeah, that was like, I had no plan at all on doing another one. Um, but, but when I, like I said, when I did it, it was kind of like very liberating. Um, because like I said, it, it was, it, I kind of identified with it, you know, like it was, in fact, it, like I was dealing with a lot of depression and stuff at the time from the time mm -hmm. I was born, mm -hmm. I was even counseling at that time. And after mm -hmm. about, uh, about a year of racing, I was like, I don't need to do that anymore. I was feeling so much better. I didn't, didn't need it. Cause it was just like, so it was so therapeutic for me to be able to wow. do yeah. And what was the distance that you ran? Oh, it was just a 5k. It was just a sprint. Come on, you said you wanted to do a little bit more than five. Oh yeah, but I see, but you know what? Like actually to be honest with you, at the time, I didn't even know anything about Spartan. I didn't know and I don't even think that weekend there was anything more than the sprint. Um, I think I just signed up for a Spartan race. I didn't even know what it was. Uh -huh. um, and so but the after that, that's when I started learning, like, you know, because here I was all proud. I'm like, oh my god, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I met um uh mark jones who i don't okay. know if you've ever met or know mark jones i i um, don't know about him okay so mark mark is this really badass ex u.s military um he was a marine he was in he was a uh, i think he was a ranger he was in the army too anyway he was in iraq mm. and uh he was he had a girlfriend in toronto and i went to a uh a uh, 
they had this thing in Toronto called the O Course, which was um, uh, was basically circuit race. It was like a track. Okay. It was almost like Deca right now, like, like those kind of things. Because really, what it was was you ran a you ran a you ran a a, 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 a loop of the track, and then they yeah. got you to do an exercise. You had to do like so many, you know, whatever. Push ups or burpees or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like it was basically like CrossFit with with running, and mm. so that's what we did. And so uh, went out to this thing, and there was this guy who was just like. He was, he must have lapped me and not just me, everybody else. He was lapping everybody. It's like, who the hell is this guy? Because he, he was like, you know, we kind of all knew each other. Yeah. At that point, so we'd done it. They had them like two or three times a year. And so we kind of knew who was good and that and stuff. Yeah. This guy was just like running around and running around. It's like, and it got to the point where I realized that he had finished, but he kept running. Like he had finished. But he just wanted to keep doing it, so he was running with us as we were like halfway through the race. <laughs> anyway, so it's like afterwards, you know, I was wearing a Spartan hat, yeah. And for whatever reason, he came over and talked to me, and he's like, "You know, you race Spartan?" I said, "Yeah, I, I, you know, I was like, yeah, I guess I do." <laughs> and so, as it turned out, Mark was um, living at that time. He was living with Joe DeSena in Vermont, and uh, he was like. Uh, living on the ranch and mm. in, in Pittsfield. And mm. so he said, you know, you should come down, you know, you should come down and hang out with us and train and stuff. I'm like, okay, dude, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm still learning. Right. And he's like, Good oh. and it, but the thing is about Mark too, that what I always say and I always love about him is like, you know, he's, he's loosened up a little bit now. Like he's over the years, he's living in Montana now, but the thing with Mark is like, and I know I don't. This isn't. I don't mean this in any disrespectful way. But he, his sense of humor was nothing like, at that point. Like he just didn't have any sense of humor. And so when you said to Mark, "I mm. can do that," he he it wasn't about him going. What do you mean you can't do that? He would say, mm. "Why why can't you do that?" Right? Like so he would ask you that. Like yeah, why <laughs> why wouldn't you come? And so like it was funny because we ended up getting to know each other very well. We started training, and then he started explaining to me more and more about and you kind of like made me feel like you're right like there's other stuff i could do that's a lot harder and and so i i would kind of laugh about it and he would say i don't understand what do you why would you not do it you know like you why wouldn't you do it and so, anyway the, the, the funny thing with mark is when we trained uh, it's a funny story i tell all the time but we would there was a there's a a park in, in toronto called riverdale park um and it's a really great place for to train. I learned to I train there a lot when I lived there because it was basically it's two sides of a park with hills on both sides, and kind of like some forest in between. And so it's a perfect place. You get to run up hills, and it's a lot of technical running. And there's even a track in the middle too, and some pull-up bars and all that. So it's a great place to go and train. That's so, I, so he was asking me because he was visiting his girlfriend, like where could where where's a good place to train? And I said Riverdale Park, and he's like, cool, let's go. You know, and he said, let's go Tuesday or whatever. I said, okay, well, I'm off work at five. I can meet yeah. you there. And I'm like thinking to myself, I'm going to get killed. Because like, this guy's like, <laughs> like, literally the guy, you know what I mean? Like, this is like, he's not, there's, this is the real deal. And so I realized in the middle of the afternoon, I'm like, Mark, it was, and it was in uh, late fall. So it usually gets dark here around four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, Mark, it's going to be dark. I just realized that's not going to work. And mm. he's like, 
well, what do you mean it's not going to work? I said, well, it's going to be pitch black. There's no lights there. He's mm. like, uh, you don't have a headlamp? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> headlamp? He goes, don't tell me you don't have a headlamp. Just bring your stupid headlamp. I'm like, oh, crap. So I actually like ran to the store on my lunch break, got a headlamp. We get there. Couldn't even find each other in the dark. It was so dark. I mean, it's think of Toronto as a big city, but this park is in the middle of nowhere. And okay. so the funny thing is he brings out like these, he brought out these um, wet weight bags, uh, like sandbags, all kinds of stuff, brings it to the bottom of the hill. And he's like, okay, we're going to go up, bring, you know, we're going to do some slams at the bottom. We're going to bring them up, run down. And he's like explaining this all to me. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> whatever you say. <laughs> and so the thing is like, so we go up. Oh, it, it, actually, <clears throat> just to back up first, he says, we're going to do, Run, we'll do we'll do a lap of the of the track, and we'll do some um, you know some, I can add some you know thirty burpees blah blah blah. And I'm like okay. And he's okay. So we're gonna do that. And he gets his watch and he looks at me like without even like thinking. He goes okay. So we'll do all of that in two minutes and forty five seconds, right? And I'm like two minutes and forty five seconds, Mark. <laughs> I'm not even gonna finish the lap of the track. <laughs> and he goes and he looks at me totally straight. And he's like. Okay, three minutes. And he just takes off running. He's <laughs> running. And uh, but the but the thing is, the the, the the important part of the story I'm getting to is that we did those. You know, we brought those weight, those those uh, those um, sandbags up and down the hill. I don't know how many times, back and forth. And the next day, like it was like I can't believe I did that. But of course, he must have done four or five times more than I was, right? The next day I told him, I, he said, we're going to do that again. And I said, okay, but can you tell me, just tell me, can you send me what we did? Because I want yeah. to, to know, right? And so yeah. I can go and practice because yeah. I don't want to be stupid. So he sends me what we did. And I was like, Mark, you screwed up because it says here we, we were using 50-pound rec bags, right? And it's like, what did we use, right? And he goes, no, we used 50 pounds because it was pitch black, right? We couldn't see. Mm. I didn't mm. know. And I was like, we, no. He's like, I was like, we didn't use 50 pounds. That was my name. might have been 20. He's like, no, dude, that was 50 pounds. Right? And so it was wow. like, holy shit. Like, I just did that. Like, I, if he had told me it was 50 pounds, I would have never done it, right? And so the thing is, like, the important part, again, it's a long story, but is that Mark kind of really taught me. He did it a few times. We we would do loops of that of that uh, uh, of that park and how many times where I didn't I didn't have a GPS watch or anything, and so we would mm. run, run, run. And so at one point one day I asked him too. I said, you know, how how far do you figure that was? You know, we ran today, and he said, oh, he's like, it might have been fifteen kilometers. You know, and I said oh, that's pretty good. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a watch and I ran mm. it, and I realized that we were running twenty five. No way. Yeah, and so it's like it was kind of like. Mark made me realize that there's really no limit. Yeah, right? and your body is capable. It's psychological, you know, and you realize that it's, you know, you can do things that your, your mind won't let, let you believe you can do. And so that's where I started saying, okay, well, I could try doing some harder stuff, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, and it was a real important lesson. Um, I think that the sport though, like our sport has changed a lot because it's become a lot less about that and a lot more about technical skill. And that's something that, you know, yeah. I'm not always 
you know, number one, I'm not as good at that. And so I'll be honest. Um, but number two, I think it has kind of changed the, you know, the, 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 uh, I don't know what you call it, the theme of the sport, like the motivation for the sport. The feel the, of the sport. Or... Yeah, yeah. It used to be that it was about grit and like I said, you know, like resiliency to do things that you, your body didn't say you would let you do. And now it feels more and more like we have to practice something for, you know, months and months to, to perfect some technique rather than just pick something up that's heavy and carry it up a hill, you know, yeah. it's changed in that way. Um, so, yeah. And I think maybe some of those newer people are the ones that are <laughs> <laughs> strong, you know. Do you think yeah. it's getting more commercial now? Like it's becoming more commercial and that's why they have to change with the, you know, with the time. Yeah, I mean, I think that like it's it's sort of become a it's it's definitely become a, a a victim of its own success in a way, you know, because you're right. Like now, it's it used to be um, people complain because it's like oh it's, it's, these obstacles sometimes are just garbage, right? Like they're just walls and they're just you know lift something and drop drop something. Yeah, and you know, and so like people would complain about that, and 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 now it's become. You know, it's it's just be, you know, like I always tell, like I always use John Alban as an example when he was at the European Championships like three or four years ago. I don't know if you heard about that, right? Where he he couldn't figure out the last obstacle, like he was in the lead <laughs> and he got to the end, and he and he couldn't figure it out. Like he was just like, and then he did it wrong, and he had to go back and do it again because it was just like, what am I supposed to do here, right? And so yeah, yeah, it, it's like. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's it's just for some people, it's they they need to keep pushing it, you know. And and like for, I'm totally old school in the way that I see it. It's like you know, the hundred meter dash is the same hundred meter dash it's been forever. And so, like, what do we do? Do we start putting like sharks on the track? Like, I mean, it's just like it's that's the that's that's the sport. Right, like it's yeah. the fastest person who can run that distance. It's not very, it's not very exciting in that sense. It's just a track. Yeah. It's 100 meters, and you run it. Um, and so I think that if, in some ways, right, the sport would almost be more successful in the long run when it comes to stuff like Olympics and stuff like that. If it were just simple, because then it becomes something that we all and follow. Yeah, yeah. Right? And that's the thing. It's funny because every year they make a big deal about we're going to have new things. It's like, well, shit, like how can you measure what I did last year with what I do this year? Because this year it's not the same race anymore as it was last yeah. year. And they, they keep well, changing, right? Yeah, it's like, well, but it would have been boring if you did the same thing. And it's like, well, but that's the sport that I love. That's what I wanted to do. That's, I, you know, what I wanted to do five years ago is not what yeah. it is today. And so you're going to lose people along the way, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's funny, like people want to standardize the sport because that's the only way it's going to be recognized by, you know, Olympic commission or whatever, but at the same time they keep changing it. And so it's like, you can't have both. There has to be some standard. Mm. There has to be some agreed, okay, this is what you need to do. Like, mm. like if you're in, if you're a gymnast and you want to win the all around competition 
they don't keep throwing new events at the gym gymnastics meet right it's always the pole vault it's always the the lateral you know what i mean like those are the things you work on every year yeah. that you get good at and you become great at and then you yeah. can win that they don't you don't show up to the to the gym the gymnastics meet and they have they're like there's something that you've never seen before and it's like okay figure this one out right that's <laughs> not, <laughs> you know because then the person that won the world championship last year is like now lost and can't do it this year you know, and yeah. I guess some people would say, well, that's what makes it exciting. But at the same time, how do you know if who's the best in the sport if all you're doing is always just reinventing the thing and no one is ever actually, you know, uh, competing fairly against each other's best strengths, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. People are bored sometimes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I agree with you about this, bro. Uh because to maintain an identity, it's really important that you have some standards and you never change those standards. I mean, boring or non-boring is a perception, right? It's it's, it's a mind thing. Yeah. And that perception can be trained, it can be changed, and it can be influenced by the people who are leading the business or who are, you know, who are the leaders in this business. And re leaders can be, you know, the regional leaders who are organizing the races. And also about the education, you have to educate people that guys, if you want to get good at it, you've got to keep doing it, yeah. you know, yeah. ask people to help you out. Yeah. I mean, I keep using, I keep coming back to the hundred meter thing, but when someone ran 12 seconds yeah. at some point in the hundred meter, they didn't go, okay, they're getting too good at this. So we have to make it harder. Right. Like people, no, but that's the <laughs> argument you make is that it's like, okay, people are getting good at it. So we have to make it hard again. But that's not that's not the what sports usually do, is about. It's about you know you learn it, you get better at it, and then everybody you know reaches the point where they're the best they can be, and then you know who's the best because after five years of people doing it, that person stands out. They've got the best skills. They're the ones that practice. They're the ones that hone the skills, and they're great at that. Um, but when you just keep changing it all the time, then you never actually know who's the best. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just weird the way we see that. I mean, I think that the sport like will always be different based on locations, right? I mean, there are some places I've raced where there might've been 10 meters of elevation and other places it's like 7,000 meters of elevation, right? I mean, yeah. that will always change. And I think that's a, that's a good part of the sport because there is, there is always, there should always be a part of adapting. That's part of mm -hmm. the sport too, right? Because the, the weather is different, the terrain is different, the elevation is different, the temperature is different, the amount of mud is different. Like there's so many things that already vary. So I'm not yeah. saying you need to have like a completely sterile environment where everything is the same and everywhere you go. Yeah. But it's it, it it's the same. Like I said, in terms of like like a gymnast doesn't do those different. They may do it in different places in different environments it might be a cooler gym or you know what i'm saying right like it but, mm -hmm. but you don't suddenly you know put put uh change put, the rules of the games put, right yeah, nails on top of the you know the 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 gym mat because it's like oh this is too easy let's see them across <laughs> the nails now too right so let's see them tiptoe and then <laughs> do a backflip <laughs> yeah oh, that's weird i don't know 
<laughs> bro i uh, i saw that you've been associated with something called you can play can you can you uh, let us know what is it about and uh... so um you can play basically works with works to um foster a safer environment for the lgbtq in a community so that's either athletes or fans or coaches um and so that uh organization started for me at a really important time back in 2010 um when uh because i grew up playing hockey like i said and i grew mm -hmm. up playing hockey gay basically in canada mm -hmm. which is not easy and uh, uh a really well-known sports figure here uh his son came out of the closet in about 2009 2010 mm -hmm. and it was a huge deal because of this this particular guy was, you would never expect him to ever stand up for those kind of rights, but he did. Um, and then shortly after his son died, he was in a car accident. And so what they did in his honor uh, for his legacy was to start this organization to, to basically help, like I said, create a safer environment for, for people like me and for other people mm -hmm. who are in sports. And uh, so basically, you know, for the first few years that they were around, I wasn't very open about who I was. Mm. Um, but then again, a lot in a large part because of obstacle course racing, it was kind of like, uh, I wanted to take a more leadership role, you know, cause I was getting older and I could see, and, and I could, I could sort of see a lot of younger people who were still struggling. And it was like, uh, you know, I, I would like to wear a, you can play Jersey when I play when I, when I compete mm. again, it's part of what I was saying before was like getting out of my comfort zone, because honestly, mm. even 10 years ago, you never would have seen me put something like that on. Right. Like I never would have felt comfortable doing that. I was just too afraid about people and what they would think and what they would say to me. And so I'm, I'm also a, a, an ambassador, a product ambassador with Legendborn um, mm -hmm. jerseys. And those guys have been really great too. I've been with them for about four or five years now. And so one of the things that they've wanted to do with the ambassadors over the years was to get us to, uh, to create jerseys for us that were, you know, with, with that kind of represented causes that were important to us. And so some people, you know, have done stuff relating to, you know, medical conditions and stuff like that. Like they have family members, um, some people who have been, you know, who are involved in the military, you know, with PTSD issues and things like mm. that mm. and other people, you know, and so for me, they knew that I had celiac disease. And so they, th mm. they said, you know, what if we made you a Jersey, you know, for celiac awareness? And I was like, oh, that would be really nice, you know? Mm. Um, but then I started thinking again about what I, again, what I was, what got me into the sport in the first place. And mm -hmm. I was like, that's too safe. You know, like, I felt like it's, it, I want to do something that's more out of my comfort zone. And so I actually went to, you can play cause I needed their permission to do it. Right. I didn't want to do it without their permission. And I asked them, I told them and, and the, their reaction was like, absolutely. In fact, why don't you come and, you know, you can work with us, come volunteer with us. And, uh, you know, be an ambassador with us too. So that was about three or four years ago. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, basically what I've done with them was beyond wearing the Jersey out on races is, is, you know, we go and we'll go to sporting events, um, talking to people, fans, uh, some of us going to schools and talk, you know, just, it's about just educating people. And, and, and I think it's also for me, I wanted to, to do it because I think that for me growing up, I had a really hard time identifying with athletes. Um, mm. because I didn't see anybody like me, you know, like I didn't, mm. I didn't, I didn't feel like I belonged in sports because there was nobody else like me apparently who was in sports. And so mm. f- for me, the experience has actually been pretty amazing because putting the Jersey on made me, yes, definitely a, a, a target of attention, mm. but it, and not always in a good way, but in, but overwhelmingly it has been in a good way. Like, because what it's done is it's had other people who, uh, who, you know, talked to me privately and said, you know, like, I'm so amazed you're doing that. And, and so in some cases, actually they went and got the Jersey too. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it was probably the biggest thing for me because I work with legend born to design the Jersey and um so it's very personal right for me to be wearing that um and when i see other people wearing it who were kind of in the same position as i was at that time you know you could tell they were thinking one person in particular who was just like really they wanted to they wanted to get it because part of the deal was too is that we were selling in jerseys and part of the proceeds from legendborn was going to you can play and so there were people who were like, I want to buy the jersey, but I don't know if I want to wear it. <laughs> you know, it's like, I want to support it, but I'm not sure if I want to wear the jersey. And, okay. um, but there's one person in particular who went and got it. And it's like, they wear it every time they're when they're racing. Um, so, you know, and, and I think that's the biggest thing. Like for me, it's like when it comes to, to educating and helping people understand uh, the you know, the LGBTQ community, it's like, I think a lot of people don't know who people are. They don't understand that, you know, they see one element of, of the community and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not for sure. It's just that I never related to that. And so I needed to see people like me. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important. I think that, 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 that some someone like me and someone like the people who wore these jerseys and you know they they stand up and they kind of like they do put themselves up there right like a mm-hmm. lot of people don't understand that i think people some of the pushback i had from the jersey and like i've spoken on other podcasts about that specific issue mm-hmm. and so the feedback has been like you know who cares like why is it important like why does he have to wear the jersey because mm-hmm. you know, i think people see it as like okay he's rubbing it in our face like he wants us you know it's like but, but that's not the, that's not the point because it's mm. the last thing you want to do, but what we're doing by doing that is being visible because there aren't other people visible like that, you know, like there, yeah. there's no one else doing that. And so it's just, it's not necessarily for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's for the person who's too scared and, and who doesn't want to come out and this is yeah, where you kind he, of help them feel comfortable right who may not want to go on it to, to to it to do obstacle course racing or play hockey or play football or whatever right they don't feel comfortable mm. and so mm. it's like i was like that too for a lot for many years it was like it's my personal um you know i was talking to somebody the other day who's a rugby player who's not who's who hasn't told anyone mm. and his perspective and it's his right to do that 
but his perspective mm. is like, why should I let that define me? Right? Like, why do I have to tell everyone? Mm. And that's okay. But I think what's important is that when you're comfortable enough to do it by doing it, you help other people feel more comfortable, right? Like you may, even if you yourself are comfortable and you think, okay, it's just my private, I don't need to tell everybody about that. Mm. That's okay. But if you can do, if you can take that extra step and other people see you, I don't think people realize the impact that has on other people who now will say, I can maybe go play rugby or I can play hockey or I can mm. try and go to a Spartan race, right? Because they feel like, number one, you know, they belong there. Number two, there's somebody else out there like them, right? And so I think that's the biggest thing, like, by doing that, I also got that same kind of reassurance from people who were basically you know, they also were, were like, yeah, me too. You know, it's like <laughs> people I didn't know, right. Who were just like, you know, that's great. Can I go on? You know, like for them, it wasn't as big a deal, but I, but like I said, it was the bigger, bigger thing for me were those, um, those people who were too afraid. Right. And like, cause I've even marched in a pride, I've marched in pride parades. And again, the same deal, I never would have done that because it's not my thing, but when you do that and you put, I have, you know, wearing the Jersey mm. and you march down the street like that, you can see in people's eyes that they're changing their mindset, right? Mindset. Like, I mean, everybody knows when you think of a pride parade, I'm sure everybody's listening or watching is thinking about what they think a pride parade is. Mm. Um, but most of what's in those parades, most of what's in those celebrations is, is a lot of people making a statement, a personal statement about who they are just for the sake of showing other people that it's like, you know, it's just okay. And so you, you when you're doing that, you're walking down the street and you see all these people who, yeah, there's a lot of people partying, there's lots of craziness and people are having a great time and, ah, and screaming and partying. Yeah. Yeah. But you see the, kind of you know the the quiet faces the people that are just watching yeah and something something is going inside their head right that's a change that's a yeah. Yeah. i think that's a positive change uh because i think even within the parade i've never been there i've never been you know uh i've seen anything in person so i i know i cannot i cannot comment like uh like you know any other person but whatever that i've seen i know that even in those parade the people who are participating there are you can find so much of difference you know there are yeah. people from different walks of life yeah well and that's a, that's it's just a it's and i think that's the important thing is people don't realize too it's just it's such a diverse community right like we've talked about this before ourselves right like it's, people always say sean can you explain this i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like some guy, I'm just a gay guy and I don't know, I can't explain everything to you. Um, but the thing about like the people don't realize, and I think just in the last couple of years, just because everything else has been going on in the world is that pride parades, you know, they're not pride parades, they're pride demonstrations, they're pride, you know, and I think that's kind of like the protests and that's really what they're supposed to be. And that's what I think people are starting to Right. Like I, I'm old enough to remember when things were not, there, there wasn't a lot of celebrating, right? Like mm. I'm speaking from our part of the world in North America. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I can't speak for other places, but you know, 
it, it, there was a time here where that kind of thing was still scary. You could you you were risking your safety, right? And 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 then I think that you still are, and I think that people don't still don't understand that too. Is that when you there's two things happening at those events. One is, like I said, it's a demonstration, right? I mean, the roots of those things, it's about saying, you know, I don't give a shit, mm. right? Uh, like, I, 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 you, I, you can hate me, but I'm, I'm still here, you know what I mean? Um, and the, the other thing about those events and why people celebrate, and that's why people don't quite understand, it's like in your face. There's a reason they're celebrating. The reason they're celebrating is they can just be who they are mm. uh, in that moment, right? Because 95% of people in those parades, just so you know, would never dare do that on any other day of the year, right? Yeah. Like a husband and wife can walk down the street, lean over and kiss each other on the street just about anywhere in the world. Most and that's places. normal. And it's a big, it's not a big deal, right? And for, and for for someone like me, that is the one day of the year that I can do that without worrying that someone's going to hit me over the head with a baseball bat, right? I mean, that's just, that's still the reality that we're dealing with. And so I think people don't quite understand what that's all about sometimes is that there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a resiliency. I've been saying that word a lot, but there's this sense of like, I'm not, I, this is, you're not going to mess with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, today more than any any other day, you're not going to mess. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's and uh, it's it's you know it's it's a, it's again it's a very diverse community, and so there's a lot of challenges even within it, right? Where where I don't agree with everything, and not everyone agrees with me, and it's like it's, yeah. it's just like any other community, people have different views on how to deal with things like that. But um, for me, like I said, it was just if to 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 get involved with that group was more importantly, just to be visible, um, hopefully for someone else who might not feel as safe, you know, so. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really nice, bro. That's really nice. And through this, you are helping actually a lot of, uh, I mean, when you say that you go to schools and uh, colleges and then you, you know, give a speech and you try to help people, uh, how is the reaction? Like how? Do you get immediate reaction from people or in immediate response? Somebody calls you up or well, can you share I, a story with us, something like that? Yeah, I mean, I haven't been as involved with the with the speaking in schools, um, partly because on, I've been doing this for three years, about three years. And like, mm -hmm. you know, for almost two years now, we've been nothing's been happening. So a lot of it's been shut down. Um, but I mean, most of what this, what we talk about is with people who are already in sports, right? So it's potentially, um, you know, like it could be coaches, um, athletes, fans, right? Like probably some of the scariest things we've done has been going to major sporting events, you know, like National Hockey League games or football games or so there'd be a lot of people there. And so um, basically we set up our table and we basically talk to people and a lot of times those talks yeah they turn into sometimes kind of debates right when people come up and they're just kind of in your face like but i think in just about every case there's a there's there's a better understanding when people walk away than when they walk up mm. Um, mm. Yeah. um and 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 i think again we're really lucky and again this was not the case 
uh, when I was younger, with having a lot of support from major, uh, you know, sporting leagues here, which has been just, yeah, it's completely different than when I was younger, right? I mean, uh, two weeks ago, about three weeks ago, uh, a, a young hockey player who is signed to an NHL contract um, announced that he was gay on social media. And uh, that's the first time. It's the very first time that any, I mean, think about that. It's been the, the National Hockey League in, in North America has been around for 105, 106 years. Um, and so this is the first time that anyone has ever actually publicly said that. And mm. so, uh, number one, the, the response immediately from some of the biggest superstar hockey players in the world was incredible, was completely supportive and completely, you know, um, positive saying, mm. you know, like come play with us. Right. Mm. Um, and number two, the other thing is that I did, you know, cause because of you can play in my role and stuff. I did reach out to him and we chatted a little bit. And from his perspective, it was like, wow, it's so different, you know, because it's not to say that it was easy for him, but I think that, um, and I, and I say this not because I've in, not because of anything I did, because I, I just recently got involved with you can play mm. is that holy crap, the difference that has been made over the last 10 years, because what you can play has done, and it is a good play. And I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not saying that because of anything I did, but because of the organization mm. is that what they did was they saw the important thing was to find allies, right? Like they saw it as important that they needed what they said as the board members of this organization wasn't going to matter. What mm. they needed was some of the big stars um, some of the biggest names in hockey and not just in hockey too. They went off into other sports too. We've done other that. sports. And so what they did was for literally 10 years now, have those people part ad campaigns. Yep. Whenever there was a controversy, they spoke out. And so what they did, these, 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 these superstars of sport um, indirectly, by constantly coming out and saying and defending the rights of LGBTQ athletes, what they did was they created an environment where a kid who's 18 years old can, mm. can say that without, without worrying about whether, cause they had already, they said it like every, you know, like for 10 years, they said it, they said it and they said it. And so finally, there, it created an environment where this kid felt safe. And, and again, yeah. like I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to minimize what he did because it was pretty brave. Because it's still not a great situation. But when I talked to him, it was kind of, it was really what what I was amazed about was just how kind of cool he was about it. You yeah. know, he was like, yeah, everything's yeah. good. People are great. Like, holy jeez, when I was his age, do that. Uh, I would have never been, I would have been barred. Like I, they wouldn't have let me come back to play. They wouldn't have let me in the dressing room again. And I would never have played sports again. Yeah. If I had come out like that when I was 18. In fact, I left hockey when I was 18 in large part because of that, right? I walked away from hockey for almost 10 years because I just gave up. It was just too hard. I couldn't, it was too much of a, it was too stressful for me to deal with. But so, yeah, it's, uh, I'm pretty proud of that of the organization for that because it was 
um, you know, it, it's a pretty, it, it, it took, it took a lot of work and a lot yeah. of just constant, just not giving up. Right. Like there, there's going to be somebody that's going to feel safe at some point to do mm. this. And so it mm. finally happened. Uh, so, yeah. What were the problems that you were facing when you were like, when you were playing hockey? Oh, it's like, um, yeah, I mean, sports as a teenager, when I was a kid is they were some of the most, uh, homophobic places you could ever be. Right. I mean, again, I was not out. I didn't, I didn't come out till I was well, in, well, well into being an adult. So, um, and so when you are a kid, when you're 16, 17, and you're in the dressing room like that, and you're constantly around that kind of thing. It's mm. like it's it's a complicated place to be. Mm. Like I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like I always say this. People get uncomfortable when I talk about it, but it's like for me, what I would have liked growing up would have been, you know, my own place to change, my own. You know what I mean? Like there's a kind mm. of a locker room um, culture that exists that it, it's it's not a healthy place to be, I think when you're in your teens. Right. Mm. Um, and so it was really complicated, very, really super complicated for me. Um, especially at the time when I was getting really good at the game and I was starting mm. to be really, I wasn't going to play pro, but I was pretty good. And mm. the better I got, the more stress there was in the, in, in the locker room because, you know, sometimes there were scouts in the stands watching, the coaches mm. were really hard on us and it was a, it was a stressful environment just with that. Right. Mm. But when you're surrounded by people who are really uncomfortable with the idea that there might be somebody in the room, like it felt like there was a lot happening in, 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 in locker rooms when I was a kid, mm. uh, a lot of it around like hazing, right. You know what hazing is, right. Like when you're, so hazing is like when you have new players on your team, like if you're a rookie on your team, mm they'll do things to you to really embarrass you. Right. Like it was, it's kind of right. like a right to it. It's like a, it, it's kind of like a, a right of initiation. Right. And so like it, a lot of it could be really fun stuff. Like it's just, you know, it's, it's basically to embarrass you and make you, make you feel like, okay, you're new here, you know? Um, so it could be fun stuff, right? Sometimes they prank you. Right. Okay. But, but the thing is like, but, but in, in locker rooms for that kind of stuff, it, it, it was almost always directed at something to do with someone being gay. It was almost always that. It was always so that was the prime focus most of the time. Yeah, like it felt to me like it was like this was, they were trying to out people, right? As much, much as they could, they wanted to know if you're going to be on this team, you better be straight. Otherwise you're of, out of here. Otherwise you don't belong. Well, otherwise they're going to like make you, they're going to humiliate you and make you leave. That was kind of what it was. And, um, and so for me, it's, it, it, and this is why people say, well, how, well, how does being gay limit your ability to pursue, you know, success in sports? It's pretty straightforward because for, for the last four or five years of my hockey career as a kid, I did not want to succeed because if I succeeded, then I was a rookie, right? Mm. So like, mm. in other words, the more success you have, 
the more challenges you're going to face because you're the more you're going to be the new guy the more you're going to have to deal with those kind of those kind of situations mm. and that's changed now like uh, there's that kind of thing now it's like people get charged now like they call the police when that kind of thing happens now mm. but back mm. then it's funny because look when whenever that kind of thing happens now it's a big deal and because of my work right mm. as a journalist mm. People will be just uh, shocked. Like other journalists will say, like, how could this sort of thing happen? Mm. And they'll look at me and say, like, you know, have you ever heard of this kind of thing happening? And then for me, it's like that happened to me every year. <laughs> that kind of thing. And like I could tell you stories, but I won't because you'll you'll be shocked at some of the things that were allowed to happen that uh coaches allowed to happen, you know, that nowadays, again, there would be people who would be criminally charged for things that people did back then. And so for sure, things have changed. Like, again, like, again, I've spoken to a lot of younger hockey players now who are really having a lot of success mm. and, and they're shocked too. Like, they're like, Oh my God, I could never have. Right. Cause they don't see it. And that's part of it too. It's kind of funny. Like this, like Luke, who just came out three weeks ago, um, like I'll talk to him and they'll be, and, and I think sometimes there's this kind of sense of like, you know, it wasn't too hard, you know, like, it's like, they, it's kind of like, it was kind of uncomfortable. And, you know, like, why was it so hard for you, Sean? And it's like, it, trust me, it was a lot harder for me and, you know, and not to take anything away from them today, but they have, again, power to him. But when you've got the most, you know, the, the most popular superstar athletes in the world coming out to support you and saying they've got your back. I had no one. Yeah, you know? back then. I had and, nothing. I didn't and when you say back then, how? Uh, what year was it? Uh, so Just for the people to kind of have an idea what they Yeah, doing. so this would have been like, uh, like the late, late 80s, uh, late 1980s, uh, early 1990s. So, oh. yeah, so okay. I quit hockey competitively when I was about 18. So I was about, that was about 1992. Mm. And just was like, uh, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I ended up going back to play again about 10 years later, but basically I just kind of walked, like I might've been able to get a, a scholarship or something like that. That was kind of where I might've been good at, right? Like mm. I wasn't gonna be going to make a million dollars or anything like that, but it was just, I still had a future in the sport and I just kind of said, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. So, yeah. Well, I mean, things would have been different for you if there, there was an organization or there were some people who are top in the game coming yeah. out and saying that, listen, we got you. Uh, there are more people like us and uh, there is a whole community and, you know, we are like a family and that yeah. would have made you feel, you know, stronger. Yeah. No, for sure. It's a very different time, but you know, that's, it, it is, you know, it, it, it was what, what it was, is. right? Like you can't change that now. So. And yeah. Yeah. And how is that, um, in, uh, obstacle course racing, like has, you know, have you, have you had a chance to help anyone in obstacle course racing people coming up and then saying that, listen, you gave me a bit of hope. Yeah, like I, I mentioned a couple of racers who started wearing the jersey. Um, yeah. I think that um, 
like I said, I think the biggest thing for me was having people kind of turn their head a little bit, like people who kind of knew me before, who didn't mm. know that I was gay until I wore the jersey, right? Mm. And so that was kind of, for me, seeing people as kind of like double take, you know, like they'd look kind of go, hey, how's it, what? Sean, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't said, what? what are you wearing? You know, it's kind of that kind of thing. Um, uh, but uh yeah, I mean, like I said, it was, it hasn't been, it wasn't a hundred percent. I think the biggest thing that's different, right. Is that now the, the, the negative voices are the minority. And so they were the majority before. And so the negative voices are still there, but yeah. I don't need, I don't think I ever, ever had to say anything myself. If anyone ever said something, there were like 10 people there who would, you know, I'll back you up. Yeah. 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 Like I, I bring, I go back to Mark again. I remember telling Mark, like, I came out to market it's funny because like here was this guy who was like again ex-military you know tough ass and <laughs> you know and i and i realized okay we're training together all the time we're doing all this stuff and i'm like uh i better tell you this and he was just like uh, uh who cares like why are you telling me this and i said well it's i just wanted you to know <laughs> <He's just> like, <laughs> i don't really care like you won't have to tell me that and i said okay well just you know but it's it's but that's kind of where it's different. Like I said, for me, that for me anyway, here that generation, um, probably ten years uh, older than Mark and with those other people who, for me at the time, ten years earlier was a big deal. You know, mm. where I didn't feel safe ten years earlier. So it's changed a lot. Um, yeah. I think it's always nice when you wear a jersey and you have people coming up to you and even if they don't agree with you, if they end up talking to you, there is a chance that you might educate them a little bit or there is a yeah. chance that it might change their mindset. The scariest part is when people, they see and they ignore. They don't even talk. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard one to change, isn't it? Yeah, no. Well, and, and and I think in some, place, in some cases, those guys have just lost causes, you know I mean? I think it's important, like, again, I mean, wow, what a time, eh? We've had the last year and a half. It's just some people just don't want to listen to each other, you know? And it's yeah. just, it's, uh, it sounds so like, it's not like a hippie now, but it's just like, there's this <laughs> feeling of like, people are just, people who are in a position of privilege are sick of hearing other people complain, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you have no right to say you can't hear those things anymore, you know? Uh, just last week there was someone and I, it really bothered me you know, it's, it was and it's and it's funny like for me like you said in some ways it's those people that bother me the most because the people who are straight up bigots and hateful people and stuff it's like it's nothing you can do with that right like in some ways they're just not worth it you know but then there are other people who who just don't get it who are kind of like it's worse because they'll say things like again last week you see this thing from someone who I was and I say was because we're not anymore friends on Facebook with mm. Mm. who who posted this meme about saying you know I didn't care when you were you know I didn't care that you were black until you kept talking about how you were black I didn't care about you were gay until you would shut up about being gay I wouldn't care that you were an alcoholic until you wouldn't talk about stop talking about you know getting over your addiction I didn't care I didn't care but now I care because you won't shut up about it you know and that was kind of like the, the tone of it and I, and 
You know, I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know, like, what right do you have, like, this, like, white lady who's just, mm. you know, like, I think that's, and again, that's what you're getting at is that that's what's the worst thing you can do is tell people to shut up because you don't want to hear about them. Mm. Right? Like, I get, again, like I said, there's a lot of things that I don't agree with. I'm not a saint, you know, uh, there are some things, sometimes I'll say things that, but I want to listen, right? Like you, that's the whole thing. You just listen at least. Cause if you don't, if you don't even give people a chance to, to, to you know, you don't even them to come and hear them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you're, that's the end right there. Right. Like if you're not even going to be able to listen to someone. Yeah. And not to mention when you're in a position like that, again, when you're in kind of a position of power where it's like, I don't have any of these problems. So why should I care? Right. And it goes back to this pandemic, the same thing. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't yeah. have any problems. So why should I care? Like it doesn't well, hurt me, so it's okay. You yeah, know. it doesn't do anything to me. So why does it matter, right? Like if it doesn't, if it doesn't make a difference to me, then why should I care? And so it's like, that's a sad. It's a pretty sad place to be when you're when you're in that position. But I don't know. I think that, like I said, the last year and a half, mm. I think a lot of people have really felt emboldened to say that. You know, to feel like. It's my choice what I do. It's my choice to listen. It's my choice. It is your choice. But I think that by making that choice, you're really revealing yourself to be someone that's, you know, that, that, that's the source of the problem. Yeah. Right? It's not, like I said, it's not, it's not that tiny little minority of people that go around and scream racist things and be bigots and all that kind of stuff. Those people are just this tiny little group of people out there that, otherwise it doesn't matter let them scream i don't care right but yeah. when though that larger group of people that say you know i don't care mm. that's even worse because that, that's a much larger group of people and that's the people that live next door right and those are the people that scare you it's mm. like they don't care what do you mean they don't care <laughs> you know so yeah i guess for the community to grow you have to care you have to care up to a certain extent. Maybe you won't care, you know, as much as you would care about somebody that you really love, but you still need to care thinking that, you know, this is a basic, um, basic sense of having a community of community means, you know, community of commune of different people, different walks of life, different thoughts, and everybody agrees upon, you know, few basic you know, things that makes up that community. Right. Yeah. Uh, Bro, am I taking a lot of time? You, no, you, cool. Because I really like the flow of, you know, the conversation that's happening, um, the way that's going. So if you have to go, you can just let me know. Then we can continue some other day. We can uh, make I another guess. episode. Uh, listening to your story, you know, I really wanted to share uh, one story from me is this. Uh, growing up in India, <clears throat> though India has a long history of, uh, let's say, uh, uh, gays and uh, it has a very long history of uh, transgenders but coming from india and this is my perspective um things were never clean like things were never clear things were never clean and they weren't regarded as an important part of the community back then when i was growing up and my growing up can be i mean it is around 1985 1992 something like that and it's kind of crazy because in the movies, like Bollywood is a is a big thing, right? And I I generally feel when you have power to influence people, it's also important that you influence people in a right way. 
if you look at bollywood movies and if you just google it you know or youtube it uh um, then bollywood uh, depicting you know gays or transgenders and everything you will always see these people in the bad light or in a funny way like like a cameo right they would come in they would give people a break from the intense scenes in the movies they would do something funny and um, that's it so it kind of gave people a perception that okay so this is what it is you know this is what their job is and and there is they cannot add anything else so unfortunately around that time you can see a lot of people you know who are struggling and there is no common voice another cat thing <laughs> thanks thanks avi and uh, uh, i have a very faint memory but uh, of how it was when i was growing up because uh, there was there was one person one uncle actually uh, uh in our family who i think he was he was gay uh, he liked to you know he liked to dress as a as a woman sometimes and because there was no education and uh, i used to be really scared of him i mean he never did anything right i mean he never did anything to me he was always nice he was always making food and uh, desserts and snacks and everything like he was one of the most gentle kindest person but i was really scared of him while growing up and uh, if you get a chance to google in india we also have a culture of hijras hijras means uh, the transgender who are uh, um, i think um they cut the male organs when they are kids it, it, it's it's crazy and they used to live in a neighborhood and bro these people like if you come from india these people are scary as hell like i don't know why it just scares the shit out of everyone because they play loud music and they have this really you know huge sense of uh, going to the places when somebody is born or when you have a marriage and they would go there and they would say we will give you blessings you give us money and if you don't give us money we're going to take off our clothes or something like this so for some people it i mean maybe it's it's a way of life because they cannot find jobs they you know they're not accepted in the society so imagine they're living in the society but they're never part of it mm. so they don't have health benefits sometimes doctors they don't even uh, treat these people so they have their own community of doctor it's it's kind of scary so growing up in that and i always had uh, i always had this idea that i wanted to know but at the same time i'm scared you know what i mean yeah yeah no i mean i'm scared too <laughs> i wanted to know but i'm scared so uh, while growing growing up in india i was never that open like mentally i was always open like for me as a person i'm an open person like if you give me a new idea i'll take it and i'll observe this <clears throat> i'll think about it and then i'll say okay so this is my conclusion mm-hmm. it actually changed when i moved to hong kong in 2015 because there in my company like uh, when i was working there in california fitness at least 80% of the people <clears throat> they were the gays lesbians or transgenders <laughs> and that's where it hit me i was like uh oh okay <laughs> so now <laughs> i am a minority yeah. you know 
And then slowly and slowly, I mean, I had my struggles. I had my struggles of opening up and talking to these people. I had my struggles of just trying to find that common common ground where I feel maybe if I say something, they will understand, or maybe they will understand some of my jokes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm kind of happy to say that now, after living abroad for a couple of years, even in Vietnam, like right now in my company, the majority of people, they are gays. And I'm working in between them, you know, there are so many young people who were out from their college, school and college who are working with us, and we are training these people, they are gays, or lesbians, or honestly, I don't care, but in a nice way, like they don't have to be stressed about it. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. I mean, I'm happy that the way, ways that things are turning, I'm happy that people are, you know, opening up and they're talking about it. And I'm I'm sure in few years it will come to a point where you know people people won't care but in a nice way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it won't matter. That's the thing. Exactly. Because it's yeah. That's the I think and I think that's kind of the point you want to get at where you don't have to you don't have to be visible to make a point anymore. And that's the goal is, you know, to not have to worry about that. And to not have to have a pride parade not to have those kinds of things just and then you don't need it anymore right that's the that's the goal um but you know it's not like that everywhere uh you know and i think that's part of also the kind of sad part of it too was that on the one hand yeah there were people who reached out to me who reached out to me to to wear the jersey or you know sacred things but there have also been, uh, you know, younger people in parts of the world who've messaged me on Instagram, who are asking for help. You know, mm. and it's, I, I I can't do much for them, right? I can point them in directions of resources and stuff, but some of them are just in danger. You know, mm. they don't feel safe where they live in the country they're mm. in, and you know, it's like they want to get out, and it's it's trying to give them. You know, there, I mean, there are resources that you can point them at, but I know in most cases, I mean, it's a pretty hard thing to do. You know, there's very few um, people who are lucky enough to get the sponsorship. I mean, it's funny, the uh, one of the places we went to with You Can Play was to a hockey game, uh, uh, university game, one of the last events before the pandemic. And there was a couple there, two guys from Russia okay. uh, who came to the game and uh they must have just arrived we have an organization here in, in canada called rainbow railroad um which helps bring people over from places like that and who are in danger um mm. and so they were there with them they brought them to the game and the joy on their faces uh to be at that game and like it was a was it like a pride game it was a pride themed game so like that we were mm. there and all that kind of stuff and these two guys would i don't think they stopped smiling the entire time that they were at that game that's cute it was just like holy it was just like it was it was almost kind of embarrassing it was okay you know um and so one of the things we did we had we have like draws and stuff like that and so one of the things we had i think was a 
remember what it was. It might have been a hockey stick signed by some Toronto Maple Leafs or something. Um, mm. And so we we did the draw and we were waiting for the people to come and the winners, right? When we announced the numbers and the whole, it was, it was them. Like out of all that crowd that was no there, way. <laughs> the stick. <laughs> oh my God, they were so happy. It was like, it was so, uh, you know, you just realize how lucky you are to live in certain places when you're in the situation. Like, you know, these are two guys who probably, I mean, they were older than me, um, you know, just like, just two regular guys that probably gave up their whole family, gave up all their, you know, everything. They were basically refugees that came here um, just for a chance to, you know, to go to a hockey game together. Right. Um, I mean, it's like, so, you know, when people say, you know, that we're, it's gotten so much better. It's like for some of us, you know, um, some parts of the world, maybe, maybe for me, um, but not for other people, you know, and in some places it's worse than it's ever been because in some ways, you know, they never even stuck their heads out to even yeah. say anything. Like, you know, yeah. there are other people, there's a group in, in, uh, uh, in fact, I think they do OCR and I think they're in, in Poland, um, who are, you know, they're just like me, like they're not crazy, um, troublemakers or anything like that, but in order to participate in sports and be gay at the same time, it's a political statement, right? Like they're, they're they don't want it to be, mm. but to do it, they, they, they are now, they're like activists just because they want to play sports. And so they find themselves in situations where they're getting arrested some places, you know. And, and they like didn't that. even ask for it, right? No, they're just, they're just, like I said, and so in some ways they become activists now because they just, it's like, you know what I mean? So I guess yeah. what I'm trying to say is that 30 years ago, that probably didn't happen there because they didn't even dare say they were, you know, they would never even be public about it. But now they're kind of seeing other places in the world and going like, no, I want to be like that too. And so mm -hmm. they're really risking their safety and their, you know, their, 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 their futures. Right. Like in, and, and I think that's what's kind of interesting with someone like those guys that have talked to them too, is that, you know, my first instinct was talking to them was like, you know, do you need resources? Like, do you want to find a way out? Mm. But in their case, they're like, why would I leave? Right. It's like, we have to fight. This is my home. Yeah. This is my home. Why should I leave? Um, I might get arrested twice a, twice a year, but it's like, that's just my, it's the only way it's going to change if I stay. Mm. So, you know, it, it, it's upsetting to me when I hear people who's, who say, why does it matter? You know, who still say, you know, why won't people shut up about this? Like, why is it a big deal? Like, you know, and it's just, that's why it's a big deal. Right. Like, mm. because there's still people who are suffering and there's still people who are struggling and, and, you know, uh, and so we owe them that. Right. That's the thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, bro, it's it's kind of kind of funny when you say you know they were these two guys from Russia because few years back I saw uh, uh, some news uh, that they tried to do a pride parade in Russia, 
and it was manhandled like so badly yeah yeah what was your reaction when you saw that because russia as a state i mean we're not trying to be political here well, but you know it's like interesting cuz like one of the other things i do is um and again we haven't been doing much because of um because of the pandemic again is that um so you know the you know you know, do you know what fiso is the it's basically the it's world it's 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 um world ocr right it's the it's the governing body that's been set up to try and get uh obstacle sports recognized at an international level and potentially into the olympics right so they okay. they set things up about 5 years ago i want to say 4 or 5 years ago uh and it, like it's 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 a pretty like I, there's a lot of they're very very active in asia they're involved with sea games like they're very and so like again like being in north america well, i mean canada we know a bit more about the americans don't tend to know or pay attention to what's going on they see spartan they see tough mudder they see that's their world right but there's yes. this you know like the, in asia obstacle sports holy crap like in some ways obstacle sports began in asia right yeah. with adventure racing and like that's where the roots of it are and so it's like there's this whole other world out there that you know they don't know about and so fiso it's basically it's the french shells tell you it's basically it's the it's the federation involved with getting obstacle sports right how do you, how do you name this fiso fiso is federation internationale sport obstacle so it's like it's a french name for the organization i didn't get um, that but it's okay so it's like the the acronym is f i s o f i s o okay for all yeah. the smart people out there who got this please please let me know yeah. <laughs> so so what ended up happening was um they started up and then they were holding their first they wanted to hold their um world championship ocr world championship So like you know there's the other obstacle course there's the other OCR world champ but the thing is that a lot of people don't understand or they choose not to understand is that OCR world championship is just like Spartan it's just like water yeah. it's a private for profit yeah you know they call, and it, and it's legit in the sense that you have to qualify for it and it's you yeah. know i think yeah. it's really cool it's not to take anything away from them yeah. but in terms of like getting the sport international recognition and and uh you know some 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 the credentials to 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 be potentially an olympic sport to have you know these i mean look all the other sports have these governing bodies right sports yeah. sports didn't have that and so and so you need to have that yeah and so they basically created it um and so what they ended up doing was they were all excited they were going to host their first one mm-hmm. and they announced it was going to be in Sochi right and so like you say those protests like that's the first thing i think about is the olympics in sochi and for for lgbtq athletes sochi was a massive uh turning point or or i don't know if you call it a turning point but a milestone in the history of lgbtq sports because what it did was it, at that time in particular russia was cracking down big time on on those issues Yeah. And there are a lot of LGBTQ Olympians and mm. back then they weren't as <clears throat> they were not as visible. 
but a lot of people would said, I'm not going to Russia because, you know, and, and, and so some countries, um, basically said, we're going to go, but we're not going to hide anything. And so they made it very, it, it became a very political Olympics because people were saying, I'm showing up, but guess what? I'm in your face. Like, in other words, you may not have known that I was gay before. You like now, you know. <laughs> and so uh, what ended up happening was when they announced that, a few people, including me, sent them a message and said, look, dude, like, this is bad. Like, do you guys not do your homework, right? I mean, you want to be com considered legitimate. Um, you want to be considered inclusive. And you're putting it in Sochi. And it was like a totally kind of, why what happened in Sochi and mm. and it was like okay look here's what happened in Sochi right and so a few of us explained it to them and so what ended up happening was and it was actually kind of cool <clears throat> because the reaction I got back was le legitimately uh, apologetic and they said look we didn't know we should have known um but here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to create a diversity committee mm -hmm. and we want you to be on the, on the committee. And it's going to be an advisory committee to talk about these issues, not just about this, but other issues involving diversity. And we want you to advise us on these issues so that we don't make this mistake again. And at that time they were still going to Sochi we can find a way to make this work so people feel safe to show up, right? In other words, we'll do the same thing that the Olympic Committee did. We'll do the same thing. Like we're going to make people feel safe and we're going to make sure that the, the local host committee understands that we expect people to feel safe. So anyway, so I've been involved with them too now for about two years. Um, and in fact, uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be speaking into a, 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 a a, a group of people in, in obstacle sports in, in the United Kingdom. It's about some of these issues, making people feel like they're safe to compete and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it's, it, people are learning, but I guess that's the thing is that it's just people sometimes don't pay attention, you know? And, and so it, it, it was kind of like, you know, it was an interesting an interesting thing when they when they said it was going to be in, in Russia. <laughs> Why did they think about that? Like, did they did it? Well, think? to be honest with you, they saw it as and because it is. I mean, when they built that facility in in Russia, right? In Sochi, basically, they created a an entire Olympic venue, right? Like, I mean, yeah. even more, even more than other places, like they almost create, they almost like turn the the it became an Olympic location, right? And so basically that location now, it's still there and there's nothing really there except the, so they kind of said, this is perfect. You know, we'll bring everybody here Olympics, to the village. Right? It's like got everything we need, they will give us everything. And so they saw it as a really perfect place to, to hold the games. They were like, in fact, they were saying, it's a, it's an Olympic venue, like everything we need, it's perfect. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's perfect, but <laughs> for every reason except for you know this one so um yeah so it, they've been pretty good um mm. since we're talking about olympics uh you know a few days back actually three or four days back i actually posted a 
story about a transgender athlete in uh, Olympic from Australia. And uh, from my perspective, I was a bit confused that, you know, what is happening. And when I ask questions, I ask questions to understand the situation better. Because, uh, okay, I'm in Vietnam. The news doesn't travel as fast as it does in other parts of the world because of the way that it is here. But then I was kind of confused because one of my friends from Australia, he said that she was asked to lose. When she was competing, she was asked to lose. And I was thinking that if you have, I mean, it's a very honest question because I'm talking to you. I feel safe that I can ask you these questions that if, if there was a transgender athlete, wouldn't it be a safer or fairer if they have a different category or it doesn't make everything more confusing. It's a very confusing topic, right? It's a super confusing topic. Um, and you know, it's one of those ones too, that even within the transgender community, it's different, you know what I mean? And that's the thing too. It's a very diverse community as well. Mm. So it's really hard for me to speak on behalf of another community that's so diverse, you know? Um, but, you know, I think that, like I, I think I mentioned to you, it's like the 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 IOC and FISA as well. FISA, we decided to follow the IOC in terms of its guidelines involving trans athletes mm. um, in respect to you know hormones and the. It, it gets so complicated because like when you, when you take that away, people will often say, well, okay, but physically, right. Physically they're, they're different. Mm. They have advantages physically different, mm. but, and, but then it's like where I get kind of, you know, not so much confused, but it's, it gets complicated is that when you start going down that road and you start talking about how people are physically different, I mean, some people, everybody's physically different, you know? And so it's like, where does that part end too? Because then it's like, well, are tall people not going to be allowed to compete in the NBA because they have an advantage, you know, like people are not normally eight feet tall. <laughs> and <laughs> they're still playing. Play. How come he gets to play? He's, he's five <laughs> feet taller than I, <laughs> you know, like it's just, and, and even, you know, certain sports, like we're just better at things when we are, physically a certain way and it's so it's really you know it's it's yeah it's it's really a tough conversation to have you know i mean and there are trans athletes who compete on each each side of that too right remember there are mm-hmm. people who are trans who are, who are competing as their biological um birth sex right and so it's like mm-hmm. There is a whole different, like, it's not, it's not as simple. I think, I think people are often, they want to look for a simple answer to very complicated situations. And Mm. I don't know if there is a simple answer to this one. You know, um, I think that for now we have to just, um, we, we have to, like I said, we were talking about earlier, listen to people give them opportunities and we'll, we'll work it, we'll work through it. You know, I think that's kind of the biggest thing right now is that I think the, the, the most important part of this beyond, you know, winning and losing is people have a chance to play, you know, that they have a chance, they have, a, they feel safe, they can play. Um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, yeah, there, there, just, there isn't a simple answer. I think that's, I, I, and again, I get the other thing about it too, is like, I have 
been in situations where I've been at working with you can play where I've stood beside trans athletes and not a chance am I going to try and ex explain it for them. You know, I mean, I think that's, it's, and I think in some ways it's very individual for each of them too. It's just, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a complicated one. That's all I'll say, yeah. you know, when you get into those things, um, I think just the, 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 the one thing that I will always say is that everyone should have, you know, that, that, that right. And that, um, that opportunity to play sports and to, to compete. Um, that's probably, I mean, that's the baseline for me, I guess. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me, I take that as a win that at least, you know, now something happened that they get a chance to play, they get a chance to participate because before this, um, I don't know if my memory serves right. I never seen any trans athlete participate at a global scale. Yeah. And you know, and, and it's funny, right? Like, because on the other hand, you've probably seen athletes compete who, <laughs> who, 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 who cheated because they, you know, they did, yeah. they so careful, <laughs> you know, they, they took advantage of hormones and stuff. So it's like, you know, that, that was, that went on for so many years and now we're just watching so carefully. It's like, well, this person has, you know, this much more. And it's like, oh my God, there's people who are, <laughs> I mean, we know, right. I mean, in the eighties uh -huh. and stuff, there were lots of people who didn't look like they were <laughs> competing in the female category too. Right. So, but, and that was, that was legitimate cheating. Um, and not to mention not safe at all or healthy. So, you know, um, People were just experimenting in their backyard with medicines. Yeah. <laughs> I take this. What what's gonna happen if I take this? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I I hope everything is happening for good. Things will change for good, and uh, people will keep learning new things. Bro, it's almost two hours. Yeah. And I'm trying to look outside the window. When we started, it was. Uh, <laughs> I could see things outside. Now it's pitch dark. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I should probably walk my dog. He's yeah. outside the door wondering what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, um, I mean, honestly, it's been an honor to talk to you. And, you know, we live at different parts of the world. We don't get that much chance to speak to each other. Um, um, I think I'm, I'm kind of lazy when it comes to connecting with people. Jackson 5